Beyond the Mic with Sean Dillon. Joined on the star line by singer-songwriter from Belfast. He's an engineer and recording producer whose unique style has his music in TV shows like This Is Us, Film, and more. We welcome Gareth Dunlop. Hey, Sean. How you doing? Thanks for having me on. Gareth, absolutely great. Let's go beyond the mic. You've been called a singer of uncanny ability. Where was the first time that you actually discovered your voice? Oh, man. Um, for me, the, the singing came came after uh, learning how to play guitar. And I think it was down to what I was listening to at the time. When I started playing guitar, I just, you know, I wanted to play as fast and as loud as possible. And singing wasn't even on my mind at all. And then I started listening to songwriters like Bob Dylan and Neil Young and folks like that. And, uh, you know, it was one of those moments of, hey, I want to tr- try that and see how see if I can do something like that. Um, and yeah, the, the two worlds kind of kind of came together um, in, a, in a nice way. You lived in Belfast, spent time in Nashville and L.A. We're talking to you from Belfast. Yeah. How is your time in America? Tighten or change your sound? Um, you know, there's especially in, in Nashville, it's a huge melting pot of so many styles and Americana country. And there's so many incredible musicians that are constantly you know, going through Nashville. Um, so it's hard not to not not to be inspired by what you're constantly around in that city. Um, certainly a lot of Americana music. Um, and it's it's just one of those great cities. It's hard to go into a, hard to go into a pub or a bar or a club and not get completely blown away by whoever's you know standing up on the stage it's um it's definitely uh crept into what i've uh, into what i've tried to do as a musician your song born uncool has this lyric quote i tried hanging with the cool cats hoping a little bit of style would rub off on me unquote. <laughs> how's your time in the music industry been good and bad oh man um you know that song that song came about um I was over at my folks' house and we, we ended up going through a lot of old VHS, you know, family tapes. And it was one of those moments of, wow, I really was a very uncool child, you know. However, they they, they decided to kind of dress me up, you know. Um, and it kind of it kind of crept in. We were all kind of, you know, taking uh, taking the mech out of each other. Um, and that was a that was a line that it, that it, that I crept into my head as we were watching it. Just man, I was really I was really born on cool, but I've kind of learned to uh, lean into that a little bit and just uh, embrace it. Um, the uh, the good sides of the of the music industry and the bad sides was was that was that the question? Um, the good sides for me, it's for, well finding your finding your people, finding your tribe. You know, uh, like minded fools. <laughs> it's. Uh, when I when I first started getting into music, it was like, okay, well, I find my uh, I find my second my second family here. I find my I find my people. I want to I want to be hanging out with these guys in the in the music room instead of playing football outside, you know, in high school. I want these are my people now. Um, the bad side of it, I mean, I think there are certainly hard times. There's always hard times in in any industry. I think what I what I find most challenging from time to time is it, it really is, it, it can be a roller coaster. It can be really good months financially, you know, when you feel like, all right, this is all coming together. This is all making sense. And then the roller coaster stalls for a little bit and it kind of hangs there for a while. And you're like, all right, okay, this is going to need to pick up pace pretty soon. Um, so yeah, it's a, it, it can be, uh, it can be a game. Certainly um, 
early on, it can be a game of pennies and pounds. And that can be that can be challenging for sure. So who are the cool cats in your mind and who's trying to rub off on your style? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the cool cats, it's like there are people, you ever come across people that are just like inherently cool? Yeah. They've just got the swagger. They've got the confidence. They've got, you know, whatever that is, that that David, David Bowie thing. You know, I know what and, you're talking about. And they happen. They these people just they they they, they live in, in in every every corner of the world. I've never considered myself to be one of those people. I've me and my wife we joke. I, I do. You know, when I look at my interests and stuff and things that I'm into, you know, I I, I, I might as well be a 65 year old living in a in a 30 something year old's body. Um, and I've, you know, I've, I've, I've come to realize that and just get on with life. And that's just, that's just part of it. How did the pandemic change the way you look at music and the way you create music? Well, yeah, that's a good question. I, I think so before the, before the pandemic um, hit and the world kind of got, you know, really slowed down there, I was full-time uh, staff writer for a publishing company. So I was writing songs every day, sometimes two songs a day. And there was a lot of co-writing, cool and it um, it was just constant. It was constant creative output. And then when the pandemic hit, um, you know, there was no flights. I mean, I, I I started just working from home here in Belfast, and I think the tempo of of writing and the tempo of creative output changed quite a bit. And I started just writing when I felt like it, and I came to realize that that wasn't nearly as frequent as it had been when it was my job. Which was very, which was very interesting. There were periods of just weeks and weeks that were going by where I wouldn't sit at the piano to write, and I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't sit at the guitar to write. I wasn't writing anything, um, and I, I became okay with it. Though it was like, all right, well, maybe this is a, a period of time where I can, I can just kind of put back in, as opposed to trying to put stuff out there in the world. So I, I, I tried my hardest to to embrace it, and also. Having that prolonged period of time being around my kids was um, was lovely. You know that was a that was a really um, that was a really special thing if, I, if I'm honest. Now, with over three hundred songs in a year, how do you feel now that you're in this good spot? I mean, not the cookie cutter bridge hook. There you go. Next bridge <laughs> hook. There you go. Next. Yeah. I mean, you can write and produce yeah. at a pace that's better for you. And your family. Yeah. It, you know, it depends. There's a lot of songwriters out there will tell you it's a game of quantity. Um, and there's other writers will say, no, it's, you, you got to wait until, you know, the, you know, the spirit moves you and the, you know, the, the moon's hanging right in the sky and all the rest of it. And, you know, the star of the line and that's, that's when you write the best music. I've, I've felt, I've, I, I've felt both sides of that. Um, which do I prefer? I, I kind of have to say, I do prefer um, being creative when the mood strikes. There is a certain amount of, you know, you gotta you gotta turn up. You gotta turn up to the page every now and again, or you know, you know, life just gets in the way, and it's easy to to kind of let it fall by the wayside. But on a creative level, yes, I think this this, this tempo definitely um, suits me a lot better. Singer Gareth Dunlop, his new album Animal coming soon, and he joins us beyond the mic. It's time for the Rocking Aid. Eight random questions. Answer with the first thing that comes to your mind. There is no pressure, brother. All right. What's your favorite hobby outside of music? Fishing. So it's the biggest fish you've caught. You know, I don't. I'm not a good fisherman by 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 anybody's estimates. Um, I would normally just uh, fish for my dad, and uh, I would say the biggest fish 
uh, I've ever caught with maybe the six pounds. So not big at all. What kind of fish was it? It was a trout. We fished for uh, for rainbow trout at a, at a lake uh, pretty close to the house here. Have you ever seen a tornado? I have not. I have heard one, but I have never seen one. What makes you lose sleep? Ooh. Um, anxiety, I think. Worry. I mean, family, money. What was the root cause? I think what, it's a mixture of... I constantly, like, I have this bad habit of, of, of living five days ahead. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about, okay, right, well, I got today sorted out, all right, but there's definitely, there, there's, there's a problem five days ahead that I need to start working on tomorrow. Those kind of things keep me up at night where I'm, I'm lying in bed when the, when the house is quiet and you want your head to be full of nothing, but those things start to creep up. Everyone has that famous family meal that your mom used to make. And before you leave this earth, you have to teach your kids, Joni and Wilson, how to make it. What is it? Uh, that's got to be stew. My mom's Irish stew. Oh, the good stuff. Yeah. Who taught you how to drive? Uh, uh, it was a driving instructor. Taught me how to drive, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, was, uh, yeah it wasn't uh, something that was handed down to me. What's your best skeet shooting story? Oh, wow. Uh, shoot the skeet, let me see. Uh, I, okay, so I was out for a, uh, a stag do, which was um, kind of a bachelor party, and um, we went up to a range that had a bunch of different, you know, you, you went, you, you shot crossbow and archery, and, um, and there was water sports and, and all this kind of stuff, and then there was uh, skate shooting, and a lot of the guys there were pretty, you know, I, didn't, I think I only knew like one or two of the guys there, but there was like 30 people, and everyone was pretty macho, and everyone was, you know, doing the good talk of, yeah, no problem. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be the best at skate. I'm going to be doing this. I'm going to be doing that. And I, I didn't say much. I said very, very little. Uh, when it, uh, when it came my, it came my time, I, uh, I, I can, I can, I can say confidently, I wiped the floor. <laughs> it was a, it was a proud moment. <laughs> Favorite song to sing in the shower. Oh, I sing my girl a lot. There are many ways to listen to music. What's your favorite? Music on vinyl or streaming? Uh, vinyl. I, I like it, it's tactile. I like it. It's, there's a purpose to it. You, you, you have to stop what you're doing, get up and, and put it on. And, and uh, you know, it's a lot harder to skip. It's, a, it's more of, a, it's more of a, an act. It's more of a ceremony, isn't it? If you're enjoying these conversations, please check out another Beyond the Mic episode to find more actors, artists, and people you need to know. We'd also appreciate a like and subscribe. On the Good Pods app. It's time for the back half with singer-artist Gareth Dunlap on the mic. Gareth, you picked up a guitar at the age of 14. Mm-hmm. Do you still have the guitar? And do you remember what that first guitar was? Yes, I, I do. So the first guitar I picked up was my dad's uh, Yamaha. Now, he didn't play at all. Um, I think it was handed to him. Um, and the second guitar that I that I picked up was one that I, I badgered him to buy me. And it was an old, uh, it was a catalog guitar. And that was really the reason I got into music. I, I was uh, flicking through this this catalog and I saw this guitar. Never thought about guitars before, but it was like someone just flipped the switch. And I went, I got to have this. This is the coolest looking thing I've ever seen. I want this guitar. Um, and I badgered him and badgered him. And I think he said, well, look, you know, learn on this, on this old thing and we'll think about it. So I still have both of them. That catalog guitar was an encore, um, kind of Stratocaster style. Very um, cool. Electric. 
and I still have the old Yamaha acoustic. Yeah. Your passport is covered with bag tag stamps on the back. How many trips to and from Belfast do you take in a typical year? Oh, um, well, there hasn't been much this, this last couple of years, but, but normally I'd say um, six or seven, something like that. Now your video for your single, Look Back Smiling, stars your son and daughter. This video is vivid, fun, precocious. Your kids are wonderful. How do your kids help you in your musical world? Um, well, uh, thank you very much, first of all. Um, I think I think they keep me kind of, you know, plugged into reality a little bit. I think before we had kids, you know, the I would definitely get a lot more freaked out about playing a show or, or doing an interview or doing, you know, it's like those are the biggest things in your life in that particular week or that particular day. And um, and I think since having them, there's like, okay, well, no, this is this is the important thing. This is what, you know, it's that shift. It's that bird's eye view of what, of what really matters in life for me anyway. So they've definitely, uh, they've definitely kept me plugged into that side of, uh, that side of living. You're heading out on tour with Vance Foy. What does a tour look like for you with family? I mean, when you're out on tour, you can't, you know, you can't, uh, tuck your kids in, you know, daddy, why can't you come tuck me in? Yeah. That's a, that's a bridge we're constantly crossing. Um, and it, you know, God bless technology at it, but it isn't quite the same, you know, doing a zoom and, and really being there. Um, it's strange. That's why I've really loved these last couple of years because I've just been at home all the time. Um, I've missed in the past. I've missed birthdays. I've missed important moments. I've missed first steps, first words, and it's hard. It's shitty. There's no other way to describe it, but, um, we do our best. I think when I'm home, I really try to be home. I really try to not do a hell of a lot else. It's like, okay, I'm home. And you know, when I think about growing up as well, it's like, you know, my dad was out the door at, you know, half seven in the morning and he maybe came back at, you know, five thirty-six. So when we were small kids, we didn't really see him much other than on the weekends because he was working all day. So I don't know, that that that's how I kinda of put it in my head. It's like, well at least when I'm home, I'm here, I'm twenty four seven. And uh, there isn't much else I'll let get in the way of that. When you get back from tour, how do you spend that first night with your family? I mean, I want to. I know I would want to be in my bed. I'd like to sleep in my bed, but you know, my wife's here. But that first kiss, that first hug from your kids, have to be incredible. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, we 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 normally in in, in the past will. I, I don't sleep. I'm terrible for sleeping on planes. I just, I can't do it at all. Uh, in fact, the only time I've ever managed to get to sleep on a flight, I had a dream about the flight crashing that I was on. Really? So that, that should be a good indication of how terrible I am at trying to rest on a plane. So normally when I get back from a long haul flight, it's like a, a mixture of, you know, obvious excitement and I can't wait to see my family, but I'm, I'm also absolutely exhausted. So I'll get back. We'll, we'll hang for, you know, for a couple of hours and we'll, you know, we'll hug and we'll have some food and, and, uh, and then I'll normally go to bed for a couple of hours and then we'll get up and usually try to go out somewhere and have some, have some dinner and have a bit of a celebration. Now, when you were out opening for others, what tour, when you were out opening, do you remember fondly? I think I really enjoyed opening up for, um, Stereophonics. 
um, that was really, those were really great moments. They were very difficult. They were very hard because Stereophonics being the, the huge you know, British band that they are, everybody who was out to see them um, were there to, you know, get drunk, have a good time and hear the songs that they love. These anthems just get played to them, at, you know, at 11. And there was me right before, you know, the, the, the main act came on with an, with an acoustic guitar standing on stage on my own, trying trying to win these uh, win these people's, you know, win their hearts and minds. And they're trying to boo you off? Yeah, it happened, you know. Um, you know, some gigs were great. Some, the, some gigs were, were absolutely awesome. I think the worst one was actually in Dublin, where I think Ireland, the Ireland rugby team, had just won the... Six Nations know, Cup? Some sort of, yeah, some sort of triple crown or something. And, um, of course, everybody was there. They'd been watching the rugby all day. They were there to see Stereophonics. And, again, there was me with an acoustic guitar <laughs> trying to hold them for, for half an hour. It was, uh, it was tough. But at the same time, it was, a real, uh, it was a real lesson. How much pressure was on you when the BBC called you, quote, one to watch, unquote? I mean, that's heavy pressure to put on a writer, musician, and producer. How do you handle it? Yeah, it is. It's... You know, recognition is, it's a, it's a weird thing. It's a, it is a, it's a profound thing because on one hand, it validates the road that you're on and you go, okay, great. All right, well, I must be doing something right. And then the other side of it is, well, shit, I gotta, I gotta keep doing it. <laughs> I've just been, you know, I've just been, you know, working my ass off to get this, this, this quote. And now I got to keep going. It's um, it's a double-edged sword. It really is. And yes, there is there is pressure. How do you handle it? I'm not sure. I I read a great quote. I, I wish I knew who. I wish I knew who said it. But it, it was something like, you know, while everyone's trying to figure out whether they like you or not, whether they like your latest single or not, while they're trying to work that out, just write another one. <laughs> keep going. <laughs> your music's been recorded by Ti, Tim, hmm. Faith. How do you see music? That's a big old question. For me, music is, it's a massive, massive part of my life. It's something that started with, a, you know, with a flirt, <laughs> with a glance, was looking at a, a guitar in a catalogue, and it became this, this love affair. Um, I don't know how I could function without it. I've been very very blessed and very fortunate to have been able to make a, a career out of it. Um, I mean, I view music as a necessity in life. I really do. There's music in, in conversation. There's music wherever there's rhythm. There's music wherever there's, there's poetry. To me, it's, it's a necessity. There's always great places in the world to record music. What was it like recording in Windmill Lane Studios in Dublin? That was such an incredible experience. That 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 came around. Um, I, I was playing in this in this little pub in a town called Bangor, just to the north of Belfast. And a guy came up to me on the break and 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 started asking me about recording. And I'd done a little bit of recording at that at that stage. You know, I had a little box, a little two channel thing. And uh, you know, I was a I was a wannabe engineer. And he started talking to me about, if I, you know, had I ever done much recording? And I said, yeah, 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 you know, I got a little studio and stuff set up. 
I said, what about you? Are you a musician? He says, no, I manage the studio. I was like, all right, okay. I says, well, what are you, where are you working out of? And he says, Windmill Lane. And if you're a musician in Ireland, you've, you know, you've heard of Windmill Lane. And I was like, right, okay. Uh, right. Uh, that's amazing. Let's, let's get a beer. Um, we became, we became very close friends and he, he, he invited me down to Windmill Lane with, you know, no strings attached, no catch. He said, let's do a session. We got a few days open and, um, you know, the Rolling Stones aren't in this week and, you know, Van Morrison's took a break. So, Come on down. And- oh, wow. No pressure. Let's fit you <laughs> in between the stones and Van Morrison. Yeah. yeah. Insane. Uh, really, and it was so gracious of him. And, you know, I brought the whole band down and we stayed in Dublin for a few nights. And, yeah, I just had that had that experience of recording in a legendary studio um, and, and feeling, what, feeling what that was like. Um, I'll never forget it. It was the first time. Favorite studio to record in and you can't say your house. Well, you know, I know you love recording in your house, but you I, can't. I really do. <laughs> I really do. Okay, outside of my house, um, I I really enjoy recording in, in Nashville. It's a, a, a studio um, on um, on Iris Drive. It's called the Blue Room, um, and it's not the biggest studio in the world. It's a small, smaller um, live room, but it sounds really, really great. And they've got an old Trident TSM seventy series board. That just has, it has hair around it. You know, it's just got, it, it's got mojo uh, for days. And anything that goes into that console never comes out sounding clean. Um, it sounds great. It's a great studio to record in. What makes recording in your house so special? I mean, the kids or your wife might come home early. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it's a room that I've, that, that I've grown with over the last seven or eight years, so... It's got some quirks and some some oddities to it. It's not the most dead sounding room. In fact, it's 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 not dead at all. It it has a kind of a wooden ambience in it that's hard to remove from any any microphone signal. And it it's you just gotta you gotta lean into it. You'll never get it out. Um, and I like it because, as you said, you know there are there are homely distractions that definitely feed into my workflow. You know, it's like when the kids are at school. If I got to record something that's a quiet part, I got to make sure I record it between the hours of nine in the morning and you know three in the afternoon. Um, <laughs> otherwise, you're waiting to the next day. But it's a it's a cool it's a cool room to record, and I, I enjoy it. How has your mentors helped you to create music, and who are they, and how have they helped you hold on to music with both hands so you don't let go? I could name so many people. Um, I'd have to say an engineer who worked in the studio I, I, I talked about there, a guy called Brent Mayer, um, incredible producer, worked with, God, Ike, Ike and Tina Turner, um, I mean, I, Willie Nelson, the, the list goes on and on, a real incredible producer. Wow. Um, and an amazing songwriter too. He He really took me under his wing and the way you record in the blue room, he wouldn't be very hands-on with uh, with Pro Tools. In fact, when I started recording there, it was mainly recording on the radar, um, which was, a, you know, one of the first digital systems. So in terms of editing, there isn't that much, you know, functionality. It's kind of, you got you got to get it done. If you don't get it done in one take, you know, it's a, it's a pain in the ass to punch in. So let's just go back to zero and we'll try it again. Um, and he was, he was great. One of the first things he did, I, I can remember, I was so nervous going in to record on my first day. And I was putting, you know, putting a lot of passion into that vocal take. I really wanted to impress him, you know. 
and uh, it came on through the headphones. He said, wow, Gareth, um, you're singing with a lot of passion. Damn, that's, uh, that's one hell of a vocal take. But I don't believe it. No pressure. I don't believe what you're saying. I don't believe what you're, what you're putting into the microphone. He said, can you, just, can you just forget about all that for a second and, and try to get down to the conversation for me? And I was like, wow. Well, there's, there's an astute observation right there. And that was one of those, I mean, this is a guy that's worked with Diana Ross, you know, let's see, he's worked with some of the best vocalists over the 60 years. And it was, yeah, that was, that was a moment I'll, I'll never forget. Um, and then other people, especially in, in, in Nashville, where, you know, I, getting into the co-writing thing was a, was a completely new game for me. And one of the first times I ever co-wrote in my life was with John Oates, um, who I know you've had on, on, the, on the show. And he, uh, he was, he was, I think my first time I sat down to co-write and he was so gracious and so kind. And, and, you know, we, we did, we did a lot of sitting there and shooting the shit. Of course, I had a, a hundreds of questions, but you know, you find that with a lot of the folks out in Nashville, you know, the songwriters, they just want to share all of that knowledge and all those stories and all those tips and great ideas. So, um, it's hard for me to narrow down to, you know, a handful of mentors because really and truly there, there are so many. I did talk to John Oates recently and I was going to ask you, what was your favorite Hall and Oates song? Um, okay. That's a hard one. Maybe make my dreams come true. I mean, it's a classic. Um, yeah, I think it would have to be that dreams come true. Yeah. Incredible. <laughs> Singers always have great stories. I want to know, how did you pick up your wife? <laughs> I'm going to be really honest with you here. She picked up me. Really? <laughs> I, I got to tell you this, right? So she, I was gigging. I was, I was playing a show in a bar, shitty little bar on a, on a Sunday afternoon. And in, in walks Amy. And just, you know, still to this day, it just dropped dead gorgeous. You know, everybody turned, the, everybody turned their heads. And, you know, she had a had a walk like she just, she knew where she was going. And I looked at her and, you know, and just in amazement and, and, and thought, you know, I'd, well, if she, if she's not married, if she doesn't have a boyfriend, I still wouldn't stand a chance. And, um, you know, I played my set and I was playing with a buddy of mine. And at the end of the night, uh, the end of the afternoon, sorry, the end of the show, she came up and said, Hey, um, do you play house parties? Do you play parties? I said, yeah, sure. I can play a party. And uh, she's like, cool, well, here's my number. I was like, right, well, I don't have a phone. I had a, a bad habit of throwing phones away at that, at that particular time in my life. And so I communicated with her through my friend and his phone. <laughs> it was like he was playing the show with me. And it took a while for the penny to drop that there was no party. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, that she wanted me to play at. I was like, you got to be kidding me. You know, I'm the slowest on the uptake with that kind of thing, you know. And, um, and yeah, that's, that's how it happened. I mean... If I, I truly, if I thought I would, if I thought I would have stood a chance, yeah, I definitely would have went over and made that. But I truly didn't. I was like, there's, there's, there's no way, this girl's just out of my league. So I know you love cooking. What's your favorite thing to cook? I mean, when you're home, who cooks between you and Amy? Okay, so I, uh, <laughs> Amy would, 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 would tell you herself she could burn an ice cube. She does not have the, she does not uh, enjoy cooking at all. I mean, I live to eat and Amy, you know, eats to live. So I really uh, would, would take a lot of the, the, the cooking um, 
in the kitchen, and and I love it. I really really enjoy it. And one of the, my I, I like to cook anything that takes time. For me, it's it's a, it's a ritual. It's it's you open up a bottle of wine, you know, you spend your time maybe with something, some music on or a TV show you've been meaning to watch, and um, and yeah, it becomes like a two three hour thing. So anything like a stew or or, or a bolognese or um, and anything long, you know, long and slow. I love that. When people finally get to hear animal, what do you want them to feel? Mm. I, you know, this has been one of the more like selfish compilations of music that I've that I've put together. Why? A lot of the writing that I had done in Nashville and for film and TV was for very specific purposes. You were trying to fill somebody else's uh, narrative. Um, you were trying to create music that would fit, you know, perfectly into a scene. Or you were writing music that would, um, you know that somebody else was going to record and sing. And uh, I think for this for this project, I really wanted to forget about all that for a little while and just and really turn that side of the brain off and and delve into well, how do I feel about stuff and how do I want to put it out there? So I, I would I would hope that people really get a sense of that. It's time for one big question with singer artist. Gareth Dunlop, Beyond the Mic. Gareth, your first social media tweet back in March 9th, 2009 was, quote, working on album, Cabin Fever is setting in, unquote. How do you describe your writing process? <laughs> when, when was that? It was 2000 and... Yep, March 9th, 2009. Wow. Um, my writing process has, has, has changed a lot over the years. It used to be... Um, you know, blank out the entire evening, get a real good bottle of whiskey, um, and uh, and go after you know, write drunk, get it sober, that whole thing. And um, now I think with having kids, it's like you're just you're you're cherry picking the appropriate times when you're when you don't have other stuff to do. Um, I've had days when you you know that you've got an hour to get something done, and I think because you know that you've only got an hour, you get the bones of there's no. Um, procrastinating about it. It's just, right, okay, I've got this idea. Let's see how far we get with it. So it's changed a lot over the years. Um, I think if I have my pick of how I like to write, um, I do, I like a quiet house. I like somewhere where I've got a pen and paper. Um, I never write in pencil. Um, that was something a, a songwriter in Nashville told me, never write in pencil, because you can always rub it out with a pen. You might catch something that you go back to. And, yeah, uh, still maybe a glass or two of whiskey. What's your favorite whiskey? I would have to say uh, it's, it's, it's a, a bottle called Middleton, um, and it's out of cork. It's, um, it's Middleton's very rare. It's very, very smooth. It's from the Jameson family, I believe, but it's their, their highest uh, tier. It wouldn't be just as... Um, as strong um, as as Jameson's own brand, but it's a really, it's a really really nice whiskey, very smooth. And where can people find you online? So I'm on the the usual places. I'm on uh, Facebook, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and I got a website up there. It's GarethDunlop.com. Um, and yeah, come come check in, say hi. Music is a necessity. Do not try to outshoot him, Skeet. And he loves fishing. Garrett Dunlop, thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. Thanks. And that, my friends, is Beyond the Mic. Beyond the Mic.